The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing a retrospective look at the 13th Doctor. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, be sure to get your very own Secrets of Doctor Who t-shirt, phone case, mug, stickers, uh, and more by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. And if you are watching our video, you can see I'm wearing the uh, T-shirt from our Secrets of Star Trek uh, that features us as uh, characters in the Star Trek universe. And the Doctor Who shirt is similar. Uh, so you can check that out at sqpn.com slash merch. And speaking of Secrets of Star Trek, you should definitely check that out as well at sqpn.com slash trek or wherever fine podcasts are found. And uh, finally, before we get started, I want to remind you to stick around to the very end. We have some excellent feedback from our previous episodes uh, coming from listeners. So there is a little bit of news, which is that new episodes of Doctor Who will start airing on Disney Plus starting next November, November 2023, with the three specials uh, that are going to mark the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who, um, which is a change for American viewers, because uh, until now you've had to watch HBO Max in order to see new Doctor Who, uh, which is not as widely available as, of course, Disney Plus. So that's that's a big change. Uh, I don't I don't know that it means that we're going to get all the rest of new who, uh, but I'm pretty sure all classic who is staying on BritBox. Uh, I I don't know what you guys think of that. Is that positive news that under the Disney banner? It means they're going to get more funding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that's actually one concern or in the article I saw stated that Disney will have some content control, some creative control, as Mm -hmm. well as just giving them money. Now, again, what does that look like? They might just say, hey, this might, you know, here's a plot line that might work better with the American audience than with the British audience or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. You know, but um, and the, the question, too, is will New Who come over? Because right now you can watch it in a couple of places uh, like HBO, like Amazon Prime. You can pay for it. Will it come over to Disney? I, I'd be surprised if Disney doesn't get all of new who just because I can't see them saying, Oh yeah, we want everything after this point, but not before this point. Yeah. You know, yeah. cause they brought over all the, obviously all the star Wars, you know, clone Wars started before Disney took over and things like that. So, and that's all on. Yeah. But they bought there. that. I mean, they, they, they bought all that as opposed to licensing and stuff. So it's slightly different, but, but, but I'm saying, I can though, see them wanting I'm, it. I'm saying yeah. though, that they, they wouldn't just say, well, we're just going to start with the clone wars uh, as of Disney plus coming out. You know, they, they took all of it from before and brought it in to Disney plus. That was my point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could, I could see that. And it's not like they can't afford it. So yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a net positive in, in just making a more, a a wider audience for it and making it more available. Uh, Frankly, I'd be glad not to have to worry about HBO max on that. 
course, the, the, the question is going to be, will it be available day of broadcast? That's you another know, like one. after it broadcasts on BBC America will it then be available on Disney plus in America. Kind of kind of like it is on in for the BBC on iPlayer on their streaming service. You can watch it after it broadcasts on the BBC in the UK or if you've got a uh, virtual private network, <clears throat> a VPN. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it'll be same day. It may not be. It may be time time zone adjusted, but it mm-hmm. should be same day. Yeah, which is fine for us because the air time in the UK for most of us in the US is, you know, well right. earlier. So that's fine. Well, even if, it, even if that's that evening after it's on BBC America. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I think it's a net positive um, that kind of raised an interesting point. Some people were asking, will this make Doctor Who part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe or something similar? No, s- s- no. silly, but no. Although I, I did find a quote where Russell T. Davies, who, as we know, was taking over the mm-hmm. show running again, at one point had said in response to what Disney was doing in Marvel, is that Doctor Who should have its own cinematic uh, universe of related shows, which it kind of did for a while with Sarah Jane mm-hmm. Adventures and Torchwood. But uh, he's a believer in that idea. So, And I think that's a positive because what he was talking about was like not even being restricted to the so-called current Doctor, but you mm-hmm. could like have a previous Doctor and Companions miniseries and things like yeah. that, which would be great. Yeah, well, I, I know I would love to see more of uh, Ruth Doctor, Doctor Ruth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that could be a very strong possibility of, of some of her adventures. That's right. That's right. I mean, kind of like what Big Finish does, but in a live action form. I mean, they've already kind of mm-hmm. done this, but it's audio. So I, I love that idea. All right. So that's the news. And it's also a new logo. Who cares? But it's a logo. So <laughs> new but, old logo. Uh, the interesting thing about that was they had Shudi Gatwa, the, the next doctor, the 15th doctor. Uh, introduce it in a video on YouTube. So it was kind of interesting to see him out there doing doctory stuff already. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it wasn't you know a big deal. So uh, that's now the time when I turn to Jimmy and ask, can you give us a recap of what happened with the 13th Doctor? So Peter Capaldi blew up in his TARDIS and became Jodie Whittaker, and then she fell out of the TARDIS and met three companions and stuff happened. The end. <laughs> All right. That was worth waiting for. <laughs> yes, that's mm-hmm. exactly it. So uh, a little of the background. So just to kind of a recap in my mind of the of the behind the scenes sort of stuff. So Jodie Whittaker was introduced as the 13th Doctor in summer of 2017. So that goes mm. back quite a ways from where we're talking. That's five years uh, from when we're recording. She got three seasons in 2018, 2020, 2021. Uh, the first season had 10 episodes in a New Year's special. The second season was 10 episodes in a New Year's special. And the third season was six episodes of a single story. And I'm fairly yeah. certain. Right. We, and, and the regeneration. And three, and three specials. Right. We're getting three specials. But are we but I don't think we're going to get a New Year's specials far. No. I haven't heard anything no, no. about that. Yeah. No, they've so. they've said that the uh, I've I've seen it announced in the press that the three next specials starring David Tennant as the fourteenth Doctor will release in November of twenty twenty three. Okay, mm-hmm. I I guess we also missed the the one we just talked about, which was the regeneration episode. Yep. So that's another special, um, which is well, interesting. One of the three. So yep. there's only going to be two more. 
No, 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 no. We've only had three specials after Flux. The regeneration was the third of the three. Yeah. Oh, I had, see. Those three specials. Right. Yeah, I see we, what you're saying. We had New Year's, then we had Easter, and now we have regeneration. I get you. Sorry. Yes, you're right. And then there's three more coming. That's what I, that's mm-hmm, what I was but thinking. But that's yeah. not. That has nothing to do with the 13th Doctor. Right, 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 right. Uh, so let's kind of start with the, the, a bigger question. Is, is What do you think of Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor? How'd she do? What did you think of the 13th Doctor? Uh, Father Corey? Um, is May a good answer? <laughs> you Whatever know, you want. I, yeah, you know, I... <sighs> Actually, and it's a larger complaint about uh, that when we talk about Chris Chimnall as, as showrunner, that there were some ideas there that weren't developed well. I don't feel like the character was developed well, and it's not Jodie Whittaker's fault in many ways. I think it was more writing and, again, showrunning issues, because Jodie Whittaker is a great actress. But I just I didn't really think the, the 13th Doctor developed well until the end until we saw it got into the flux season and then of course with the specials we started there actually felt to me like a lot more development was done then that should have been done very early on mm-hmm. um I, I i grew to like the character more in the flux season and then again through the specials because i really wasn't impressed with the, the first season especially you know, and we'll, we'll talk about episodes that there there are some pretty stinkers starting right from the beginning. So, um, yeah, so I yeah, not the strongest doctor. Let's put it this way of, of the new who doctor. She is definitely not the strongest. She's probably the weakest. OK, you know, you know, so Jimmy. Yeah, I would have to say that uh, Jodie Whittaker's doctor is underwhelming. Um, I don't I, I'm not sold on the proposition that Jodie Whittaker is a great actress. The only other thing I've ever seen her in is uh, Broadchurch. And I remember her character being OK in Broadchurch season one and becoming very annoying after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I I. I, I when it was announced that the new doctor was going to be a woman, which was something that I said you really only want to do if your show's in danger of cancellation, um, given the situation at the time, you know, you've had a, a, a male in the lead. It's been perceived as a male character for more than, you know, for almost 60 years. And <clears throat> having a, 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 as long as it's working, you don't want to mess with success. So I said, if you see a precipitous ratings drop, that's when you would or if you were just bringing it back after a cancellation, those would be the times that you would want to perhaps experiment with a female character. And order number one for a female character is being likable. And I think Joseph, I think Jodie Whittaker in the beginning pulled that off. You know, she was nice as a character. Uh, She on some level had a pleasant personality. Um, she didn't have the sharpness that I could imagine other actresses having in the role. Uh, there, I, I can imagine other actresses who would come across as sharp and intelligent and in command and dynamic personalities, kind of like the Fugitive Doctor. Um, but Jodie Whittaker wasn't. Uh, she came across as muddled and... and um, awkward 
and she became progressively more annoying. One of I don't think she had any character development. I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think she had character development across her three seasons. Now, I don't know that that's necessary for a doctor. You know, I don't know that Tom Baker had character development across his seven seasons. So as long as the doctor's entertaining, I don't know that I need an, an immortal being to develop for me. But certainly other doctors have. Peter Capaldi's doctor developed quite noticeably over his three seasons. Um, But I don't think Jodie Whittaker did. She one of her doctor's characteristics was um, not explaining. They even hung a lantern on this in the show with her companions pointing out she never explains stuff. She's secretive. She goes off and does stuff by herself. And then she refuses to explain even when it's important. And so um, mildly pleasant but secretive won't be honest with you is not my list. uh, uh, Those are not on my list of desiderata for for a doctor. Mm. Um, Also, and I hate to say this, but frankly, I think her accent hurt her because she she used her and this was, you know, with permission of the showrunner and everything. But she was allowed to use her native accent and it's harder to understand. Um, at least to an American ear. It, it may be perfectly fine, you know, perfectly intelligible to people in Britain, but there's just a little bit of extra cognitive strain for me in processing that accent. I mean, yes, I can understand her, but I have to think a little harder to do so. And that has the effect with such an indecisive, scatterbrained doctor that she comes. it makes her come across as mushmouth. And that is one more little barrier in the way of my ability to like her. So Jodie Whittaker is, as a doctor, is at the bottom of my doctor preference list. Um, She is probably above the six doctors TV appearances, but she is she is probably immediately above my sixth doctor uh, preference uh, only because she didn't try to kill her own companions, Um, (laughs) but not deliberately. Uh, So, yeah, I, I just think this doctor was a failure. I mean, she's not as offensive as she could be, but untrustworthy, secretive, mush mouthed, scatterbrained, mildly pleasant person isn't, a good doctor combination to me. Right. Jimmy, when you said the the first duty for a female doctor is to be likable, is mm-hmm. that because like is would that be any female character? You're a groundbreaker. Right. It's because okay. you're because you're a groundbreaker. Just like Patrick Troughton, when he was the new doctor, his job number one is be likable. Right. Because because you've just done something for the first time in the history of the show. You've just had a major shift in the lead and the new lead has got to be likable or the show is in very serious trouble. Kind of like with, like, say, Star Trek Voyager, you know, when Janeway, her first female captain had to be likable. You had to look up to her. You had to really enjoy that character or, you know, any other character where you've changed. You've changed them dramatically. Although yeah, I know it's a new character, it, I guess that's it, different. It, it, but in Janeway's case, I mean, Kate Mulgrew is so much easier to watch than Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Kate, Catherine Janeway is likable, but she's also smart and decisive and in charge and 
all kinds of things that make her much more enjoyable to watch than Jodie Whittaker's fumbling about for another hour. Right. You know, when you mentioned the secretiveness of her while trying to be, you know, bubbly or fun, it reminds you a little bit of the seventh doctor, Sylvester McCoy, but that was different. Like his secretiveness, it was to a, to an end, they were building something that unfortunately we never got to see on TV, but they were building up to a, a point of his change, the, the the nature of his relationship with Ace and all that sort of thing. It didn't seem there was a point to it with a 13th Doctor. Why was she so streaking of? Yeah, well, with the, with the seventh Doctor and with the Doctor in general, I mean, he's always been a, a a man of mystery or now a woman of mystery, like with the fugitive doctor. But, um, and I'm okay with having the doctor be mysterious, but in this case, but part of, part of the doctor being mysterious is he, he may be using it for his own purposes, in which case we get to see it paid off, at least in small ways. You know, he, he was tricking a villain or something, and then we get the reveal. Um, or he's just a mysterious person. There are things about his past that we don't know. But what they were doing with Jodie Whittaker was something different because they were showing us what the secret was. They were showing us, you know, her going to Gallifrey and seeing it destroyed. And, and then... She, so we know what the secret is, and she's refusing to share it with her companions. Mm. And and that's just on an emotional level, you know, that's a lack of trust or a lack of openness or a lack of something that you would that that a TV viewer would want to see. If someone's if, if we've got a character who's supposed to be sympathetic and the doctor is supposed to be sympathetic and this character is 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 like hurting because it looks to them like their civilization has been destroyed and they're researching that or, you know, whatever share. We want to see them share that burden with someone and she's not. Mm, it's true. It's yeah. And it's not mysterious because we know what the secret is. Right. Right. So let's shift gears and let's talk about the seasons, the stories themselves, starting with the first mm-hmm. season and the introduction, the first episode with the, the 13th doctor the, called the woman who fell to earth. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have uh, not just the introduction of her, but also of companions, Graham, Yaz and Ryan. Um, and the villain of this, of the shows up a few times in the first season. Uh Twice. Uh, yeah, first and last uh, episodes, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Shaw, uh, mm-hmm. which <laughs> in my mind is always just his name as Tim Shaw, Timothy Shaw. Anyway, yeah. What did you think of the woman who fell to Earth? Uh, the the first episode, Father Corey. You know, I, I have to admit, there's a lot of the episodes we're going to talk about that I had to go back and look at the list on the the TARDIS wiki and went, oh yeah, that one. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, it's an introduction episode. It's a poster generation episode. It, it it and that's kind of what it is. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. That's that I mean, that's really my my impression of it. it. It's not anything that I found really rememberable. We got introduced to the new doctor, we got introduced to the new companions. We had the, you know, the the enemy of the week that ended up coming back later. And that was really disgusting enemy of the week by the way with the, the teeth the and teeth, all that. The, but, the teeth face, yeah. Yeah. But, but beyond that it just was so unrememberable as an episode really how about you jimmy 
Yeah, I thought the woman who fell to earth was okay as an introduction. Um, it it did what it needed to do. It established Jodie Whittaker. It established the new companions. And we had a villain of the week who had a disgusting face, but... Uh, and I liked the the Tim Shaw into Tim Shaw joke. That was good. I like that. That's fun. Yeah. Um, so I did not like the new interior of the TARDIS or the new sonic screwdriver with the crystal motif. Um, but uh, and I did not like the new doctor's um, costume. I, I think they were kind of trying to go for something Patrick Troutney in a certain way, but. But it 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 looked with the with the big clunky boots and just I I wasn't a fan of the overall ensemble. Yeah. Um, you know I was prepared after the woman who fell to earth to be open to you know and like to liking this and everything. But and it was okay, but it it wouldn't hold up. Um, it did have a really nice cliffhanger where yeah. they are teleported into space and the last shot is we just see him floating in space right right yeah. uh, for me that first episode so the the, the doctor's outfit is similarly the high water pants you know the short mm-hmm. yeah uh, kind of remind me a little bit of like robin williams from uh, mark and mindy there was yeah. a sort of old weird old-fashioned look to it mm-hmm. um the the speaking of unlikable <laughs> I hate to say it, but Ryan, I think I think it, we all agreed, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think we all agreed. Like Ryan came across as unlikable from the start. He was just yeah. grumpy. And uh, Yaz was uh, an unknown. I don't think so, there was much to, to get from so, her. So are we going to talk about the companions now or after we go through the seasons? Well, I just want to talk about like their introduction here, but we could talk mm-hmm. about it now if you want. But and then because in contrast. Graham gets introduced as a very sympathetic character who um, mm-hmm. is a widower uh, is and, you know, had lost Ryan's mom and, you know, and right off the bat. Well, loses her in the episode. Right. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. And so very sympathetic right off the bat. And I think that was that interesting aspect of that first episode was I liked Graham. I wasn't a big fan of the other two. And so that was kind of mm. an odd feeling uh, right, right to begin it. So, other than that, not a, I mean, there was that opening scene on the train. Not much of it was sticks in my mind. Other than that, after after that point. Um. So let's move on and talk about the next episode. So we have a TARDIS separation story where mm-hmm. in Ghost Monument, where they have to basically it's a quest. They have to track across this <laughs> battlefield with automated defenses to recover the TARDIS. Um. Thoughts on this one? Jimmy, why don't you start with this one? Yeah, that's really about all I remember about this one. They're separated mm-hmm. from the TARDIS and they've got to find it. And um, and the only other thing I remember from this is we they get attacked by these um, rag monsters and by these flying rags. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the flying rags have the first reference to the timeless child, which won't get paid off for two years. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I know it's a full two years there. Uh, but you, Father Corey. Yeah, this this is this was a role playing quest put on TV. I mean, it was we got to go find the MacGuffin. Of course, the MacGuffin being the TARDIS that's mi- mysteriously vanishing in and out of reality. And yeah, uh, and we had a few guest characters, the temporary companions, and the uh, the 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 race because it's like a survivor, yeah. you know, amazing race sort of a reality show thing that they were doing. And we had a couple of guest characters, but again, 
it was a basic adventure plot. Not much to, to mm-hmm. go on there. Uh, so then the third episode is Rosa. And so uh. this is the Rosa Parks episode where, you know, again, we can't do a whole his a pure historical. Uh. We had to introduce, you know, space, you know, science fictiony things. And let's Jimmy, I know you, pre- let's, let's turn the preaching up to 11. Yeah. <laughs> I know you have opinions on this one, Jimmy. So I'll let you get started <laughs> on that. Yeah, this one is terrible. Um, if you if you. It, it it is it you know it's it's a message episode and it's a message episode that doesn't try any subtlety at all it is mm-hmm. um it is uh ham-fisted it is self-righteous it is um it, it does not show any awareness of human complexity it is uh it is cartoonish and the way it presents a very serious issue that deserves mm-hmm. a much better treatment than this, because um, the real Rosa Parks was a hero. And the and and the deserve better than this. I mean, racism mm-hmm. is is a real issue. The historical issue of racism is a real issue. It deserves better than this. Among the things that it deserves better than this is some awareness of the subtleties of human um, reality that you have a mix of good and bad in uh, in people and nobody is perfect and nobody is irredeemable. You have a genuine mix. And this episode completely failed to show that Mm. Um, there are no characters in this that are black that are flawed there are no i'm accepting the main cast Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but of the characters in 1950s alabama that we are shown there are no black characters that are flawed there are no white characters that are virtuous it is just it is it is completely divided along racial lines which of itself um is a a kind of racism mm-hmm. um also the science fiction element that you mentioned is completely ridiculous we mm. have this space racist from the 52nd century he's from the same time as river song and captain jack he's used to a galaxy of bizarre looking humanoids <laughs> Why on earth would he care about skin color among homo sapiens? That makes absolutely no sense. The only way you can be racist is if you've led a very sheltered existence where you don't encounter and interact with people. And he, from the from the 52nd century, has way more exposure and interaction to other kinds of sentient beings than we do. Why is he going to care? I mean, if anything, if tribal instincts are going to kick in at all, he's going to draw a line around humans and love all humans compared to aliens. He's not going to turn on some segment of humanity that by the 52nd century, presumably, has been living in terms of equality for for 4,000 years, 5,000, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, 3,000 years at least, Mm. and and care about, oh, you've got a little more melanin in your skin than me. (laughs) What? How about you, Father Corey? Oh, sorry. It's all all just there. It's, this is like coloring book writing. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, Corey? Uh, Jimmy put a lot more thought into this one than I, than I think it deserved, but uh, <laughs> this is missed opportunity. Absolutely. I agree with yeah. Jimmy 100%. This is an absolute missed opportunity to tell a really good story about it. You know, a, a tragic part, a terrible part of the past of our country, which, by the way, you know, the UK has its own history with racism. That's just as bad as the U.S.'s was. So, I mean, let's let's be clear about that, that, you know, they, they can't sit there and play, you know, superiority complex on this either, but it was just a missed opportunity. It was such a, it could have been a fantastic historical and a pure historical would have been, um, would have been mm-hmm. great to tell the story, you know, with the doctor and companions as observers. I, I yeah, actually kind of like the I, idea. I, I agree with the that. Fact it, that. If you're going to come, if you're going to reintroduce pure historicals, this would have been a great one to do that with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, the idea of Graham being the one that kicked everything off was actually could have been, a way to leap into that story again, as a pure historical, um, you know, and, and, but they didn't do it. They completely missed the mark. And yeah, they, they introduced, you know, time space, uh, uh, Nazi instead, you know, and it's just like, well, if he doesn't like people who are darker skin color, don't go to times and places that have people of darker skin color. You've got a time, time travel capability. Right. Just don't go where people there. You don't like that. Didn't Done. make any sense. You know, and, so. to, and and to kind of bounce off your point, you have a British writer. Well, uh, Chib, Chibnall co-wrote this, but you have a, mm-hmm. a British showrunner approaching a very complex historical events in the U.S. and another society, another culture in a very ham-fisted way as for, as an outsider. That's I, I think that was a mistake. Um, I mean, it would be like an American TV show trying to comment on the Scottish English divide in a 40 minute, you know, episode mm-hmm. where we are trying, you know, it's, it's oversimplification or, or, or the troubles in right. Northern Ireland. Yep. You know, right. yep. just imagine a, 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 a I was going to say trio, but it's really four people, uh, four American characters showing up in the 1970s and 80s in Northern Ireland and everybody else on the show is Irish. And are we and 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 we're going to do a sensitive, nuanced treatment of the troubles? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it would. It would. Yeah. Kind of it fails on almost every level, unfortunately. Speaking of failing, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't preview <laughs> this. Uh, arachnids in the UK, which as <sighs> as an arachnophobe myself was among the, my least favorite of <laughs> episodes. But I had other problems, too. Father Corey, what do you think of arachnids in the UK? What what you mean, Chris Roth playing the Trump look look like? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they finally get an American actor to play American character, and it, it's the guy's supposed to be basically be Trump without yeah. the the orange hair. Um, yeah, this is again, this was bad. You know, if they had left that part out of it, I fine. I'm not the biggest fan of spiders either. I, if if they're in my house, yeah. they get squished. But um, <laughs> and even the well, it was a toxic waste dump. Well, that's. That's been done in Doctor Who many times over. Okay, yeah. fine, whatever. But just the the political, and of course, again, remember this came out in 2018, right in the middle of the Trump presidency. I mean, they did literally slap. They may as well just taken like a you know a Trump sign and slapped you up the face with it, as you know, as explicitly as they were doing that with that character. Yeah, right. this, I mean, this is this was another one that was just just horrible. 
I mean, and, and again, it was it was poking at American politics is really what it was. Which is interesting. They did that two episodes in a row. They did the the, the racism in America. Then they did Trump in America. And it was it was very American political focus from a particular mm-hmm. point of view, which mm-hmm. was a weird way to start. Um, what, what do you think, Jimmy? This one. Well, I, th- I think it's not a good way to win an American audience if yeah. you're mm-hmm. if you're regularly taking twice in a row taking pokes at America. Um, because they clearly did not approve of the Donald Trump character. He was he was not portrayed sympathetically. And um, so, again, we have we have lefty preaching going mm-hmm. on. And I understand how, you know, you know, the entertainment industry skews left, but suck it up entertainment industry the country doesn't and so um so you need to know your audience and and entertain your audience that's your job Uh, i don't care what your personal views are but um if you start intruding your politics on screen it gets annoying really fast and it did here now i did like the what they even having having made the decision to introduce a trump surrogate character I liked the fact that, um, and I thought it was creative, that the Trump surrogate character hates Donald Trump because he's, <laughs> yeah. because he's always being compared to him. That's fun. Okay. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. if you're going to have a Trump surrogate, that's fun. Um, but having a Trump surrogate overall was a mistake. Also a mistake. And of course, we have a simple, we get a simplistic plot about, okay, great. You know, chemical waste causes giant spiders. Oh, it's not like I haven't seen that plot since the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. I mean, how many B movies are there about giant bugs because of radiation or, or chemicals or both? Yeah. Um, so it, not, not a creative episode, pretty thin plot. And then the ending is they fail the old yeller test. You've got a giant spider that is suffocating to death. And your Donald Trump surrogate has the integrity to say, we need to put this thing out of its misery. I'm going to shoot it with a gun. Mm -hmm. And the doctor is like, oh, no, orange man, bad guns, bad. (laughs) (laughs) We have to let this thing suffocate to death instead. And it's like, no, you don't. Right. This is not a this is not an intelligent being. It is not capable of making its own choices. This is a giant eight legged dog. If the mm-hmm. dog is suffering, you put the dog out of its misery. This is not hard. This is old yeller, and you just failed the old yeller test. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If you want to see a good, good American episodes, Doctor Two, for all the issues of the Lake Silencio plot line, the Doctor sitting on an old fifties era. American car with a Stetson and River Song using a six shooter. That's Americana. <laughs> that's right. That's that's how you attract the American Utah. audience. Yeah. <laughs> so the next episode was the the Saranga conundrum. And uh, I I'll, I just want to say a few things for, uh, for myself for this one. I loved Brett Goldstein in this. Brett is, for those who are fans of Ted Lasso, is in, uh, in Ted Lasso where he's fantastic. Mm. The foul-mouthed former uh, football player. And uh, he was good in this, too. I really like that. But uh, this introduces a new alien character, monster, quote unquote, the Pating, which is a nearly <laughs> indestructible, baby sized, almost answer to Grogu. If you think about it, although this predates mm-hmm. Grogu. Um, yeah. But uh, just sort of like the opposite of Grogu. But uh, 
I kind of like this one. This was one of the, the first ones that I kind of said that was pretty good fun adventure in space sort mm-hmm. of thing. But what do you guys think of this one? Uh, Jimmy, why don't you go first? Well, I, 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 I'm OK with the Patang. Um, you know, it's silly, but OK, I can have a silly episode every so often. That's fine. Um, so, you know, the Patang was fine. The way they got rid of it by, like, feeding it antimatter and throwing it into space was good. Uh, you know, it was OK. Um, I I wasn't a fan of, of other things they had going on, like the sudden because we can't get away from modern woke politics. We have to introduce a pregnant man in this episode. Right. I remember mm-hmm. that now. Yeah. Yep. How about you, Father Corey? Yeah, I I think I blanked out that whole part about the pregnant man. And, you know, the, the, ping, the ping was funny. Of course, you know, again, it, it's one of these creatures of you can't touch it. It eats everything. And I mean, it eats more than its weight five times over in the episode, if not 10 times over. And, you know, it's just like and you can't kill it. So they have to basically beam it. If I remember right, they ejected out an airlock is what they ended yeah. up doing. Yeah. To get it off the ship. It was just kind of like. It was okay. It was fun. Like I said, it was goofy fun. The thing was kind of cute, even if it was, you know, it was evil incarnate. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I just, I think it's just hungry incarnate. (laughs) You know, a hungry uh, uh, infant is (laughs) hungry incarnate in there. So, uh, so that was the Saranga conundrum. Uh, Then it was demons of the Punjab, which was a, Another historical story based on this was the 1947 partition of India, India and Pakistan, and um, written by a, a native of of the of Southeast Asia, so Southwest Asia, sorry, Southwest Asia, and um, it was actually played up a lot because of the de- dealing with this particular issue. Doctor had never really you know gone there with this. Um, but again, it took a historical event and introduced the, a sci-fi element to it to, in order to, I don't know, to, to do something. And it dealt with um, Yaz's family, family history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of this episode? Uh, Father Corey, why don't you go first on this one? You know, this is, again, this is another missed opportunity. I thought it was actually a, a decent episode outside of the the completely unnecessary sci-fi element. I mm-hmm. mean, it just, it I, I, I think we all kind of agreed at the time that it was just kind of tacked in if, if I recall correctly yeah. you know I, I know I, I definitely felt that as I was thinking about this again it's just like it was just tacked on there to make it a sci-fi episode instead of just a pure historical and it, it's you know it's a topic that I don't think a lot of us in the west western Europe and North America really know about a lot about you know if you're outside of the UK and even maybe those in the UK don't know a lot about how Pakistan was created outside of uh, from India when India gained its independence, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. So, yeah, it's just it, another little bit missed opportunity. It was a better, ep- much better episode than Rosa. That's for sure. Yep. In my opinion, Jimmy, it was better than Rosa. It was um, in, in part because it didn't make the central mistake of Rosa. The, the whole premise of demons of the Punjab is you've got good people on both sides. And and we see that uh, you have good Muslims and good Hindus in this episode. They're being torn apart by tragic forces. But we are being and you have bad people on both sides and we are being given a complex portrait of a society in transition. That's what Rosa should have been and wasn't. Mm, yes. Yes. Uh, 
to, to actually comment on the partition story, uh, a, sh- a show that did a really good job of dealing with the partition was um, the Marvel series Ms. Marvel, uh, which I thought handled it fairly well. It was interesting, and it, and it was uh, I was I was pleased with that one. Um, and I agree, it would have been better if you'd just done it again as a pure historical, not just as someone who likes pure historicals, but it that the alien bit felt tacked on, and the rest of it felt nuanced. Yeah. Also, if you if you're dealing with a serious historical issue to suddenly thrust aliens into it is can be kind of disrespectful. I think so. I agree. So uh, from the serious to the silly uh, a little bit, we Mm -hmm. we go to Kerblam, uh, Mm -hmm. which dealt with the doctor in in a sort of future Amazon dot com analog uh, and making it silly. Jimmy, what did you think of Kerblam? I liked Kerblam. Uh, I mean, I, I, I remember liking it. I don't like, every, you know, as much as I like anything in this era, I remember Kerblam being enjoyable. I liked the Kerblam ma'am, the Kerblam man um, who shows up and delivers packages. Um, and despite the fact that this was a kind of corporate, I mean, they did something a little bit they different than what you would expect because they're using Kerblam as a surrogate for Amazon and you're expecting mm-hmm. them to do some, oh, massive corporation evil statement here. And it turns out the villain is an employee who's a terrorist mm-hmm. and instead of it being just an evil corporation. And it's like, Okay, I mean, I've seen Evil Corporation episodes on Doctor Who a lot. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, like, I I, I don't know what the earliest is, but like, for example, the fourth Doctor story, The Sunmakers comes to mind. And there are a lot of a lot of other face of underworld. There are a lot of other faceless, you know, bureaucracy episodes and um, and so I've I've kind of seen all those. It's nice for once to to have a twist where it's not just completely paint by numbers. Let's, you know, color in the the existing shapes and do a coloring book in this story. It's it, it having having that twist was was OK with me. How about you, Father Corey? Yeah, I, I agree with Jimmy. This I, I would argue this was probably the best episode of the first season. You know, if you look at all of them together, um, just because it it wasn't like like Jimmy said, the stereotypical corporation bad, even if it was being painted as a doctor versus Amazon type of thing. But it, it was it was just it was fun. It was I thought fairly well done mm-hmm. again, you know, for for first season, episode, first season of, of the 13th Doctor episode. Um yeah, I, I mean, that being said, does it compare to others that we've seen later? No, not really. I, you know, yeah. but but for the for the first season, which was arguably extremely weak, this was probably the best. OK, uh, then we went to the Witch Finders, which yeah. deals with <laughs> witch hunting and King James the uh, first in the 17th century. Uh, Father Corey, what do you think of the Witch Finders? I try not to. Um, <laughs> this was just. Yeah, this this was anti-religious. I mean, this was, you know, yeah. there's, you know, King James, of course, what everybody knows the King James first for is the King James Bible. He's the one who authorized it, et cetera, et cetera, and all that. But it's just, it was just bad. It was just bad. I, 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 I yeah, I'm just not even going any further than that. I, I don't, <laughs> didn't put any thought into this one other than just it's bad. How about you, Jimmy? Yeah, this is, an, this is another preaching episode um, because, uh, it's Doctor Who's take on the witch trials, and it's not even doing it the right way. 
Um, this is just let's make fun of King James the first. And I am not a fan of King James the first at all, but um, but this is just cheap. Uh, let's make, let's, let's mock King James the first and, um, and let's make him and uh, look stupid and everybody connected with witches in opposition to witches look stupid. And then we don't even get real witches. We don't have real witches to be sympathetic with. We've got tree people. <laughs> I am Groot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it just, yeah, yeah just really bad. This one flopped on pretty much every level, I think. I, I just wish something would take me away. <laughs> well, oh. let's do that for you then, because it takes you away is the next episode, which took us all the way to uh, Norway, Scandinavia, Norway. Uh, Jimmy, what do you think of it takes you away? I liked it. Um, I, I, I get, you know, kind of Norwegian horror mystery things and that's essentially what this was um i don't know you know i was i'm open to kerblam being the best of this season but i'm also open to it takes you away being the best um at least on 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 a lot of levels we have this this uh, scared girl who's hiding alone she happens to be blind her father has left her alone and she it turns out her her dad is passing back and forth between another dimension universe thing um and and in part it's tied up with grief for his wife um and 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 graham also being a recent widower who was traveling with the doctor as he pointed out to help him avoid grieving and just mm-hmm. sitting home alone and grieving and as a widower i know what that's like um, it, it, you know, we get a reappearance of Graham or of Grace, his wife in the form of a, an illusion who is tempting for him to stay, you know, and be with the illusion. Um, I get all of that. Uh, it, I don't think it's a perfect episode in particular. I don't think the talking frog is perfect, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but a lot of the episode is pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Father Corey. I- I agree. This is a, this was a pretty good one. Um, yeah, the, the frog was was kind of the the weak point of it. That but, was mind bending. <laughs> uh, other other than that, no this this was this was good. Um, I, I liked Kablam a little bit more because Kablam was a little bit more fun. Yeah, and I'm not as big a fan of you know the kind of the the, the horror elements so much personally. You know, but I mean, it was it really wasn't horror. It was more just creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on? You know, yeah. but it was. It was a good episode. It was a very good episode. I agree with that. Scandinavian Gothic is a thing. And I, I kind of liked him getting out of, you know, the normal places, going to Norway, seeing some different, you know, backgrounds. The frog kind of dips it below Kerblam for me because that was that was so bizarre. I remember at the time going, what? Like doing the David Tennant. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree on that one. It was a pretty good. So uh, and that brings us to the end of the season with the Battle of Ranscor of Collis. And the return of Sim Shah. So what did you think of that one, Father Corey? I, you know, I really don't remember this very much at yeah. all. I mean, I'm literally looking at the, the TARDIS wiki going, I don't. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> about, I don't. Yeah. I don't think much of it. Let's put it that way. Jimmy, how about you? Yeah, I think of it as the one with the pretentiously long title. Um, <laughs> the it, discovery title. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's not okay. There's, there's not much of a battle here. I mean, we've got mm-hmm. our four heroes against Tim Shaw, and there are a couple of 
additional mysterious alien characters who turn who are pitched as if they're initially villains, but then it turns out no, they're they're like here to observe or something and show respect or something like that, and they're not really villains. So it's really it's really a four on one fight. You know, our four heroes versus Tim Shaw, right, is not much of a battle. Um, so it's got a pretentious, overly long title. Um, the the main thing I remember about it, other than that they they beat Tim Shaw, is that uh, Graham starts to go rogue because Tim Shaw was the one that caused Grace's death, and 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 uh, Graham starts thinking. I'm going to kill Tim Shaw. I'm going to get revenge. He killed Grace. I'm going to kill him. And the doctor gets very firm with him and says, if you do, you will never travel with me again. And he ends up not killing Tim Shaw. Um, but uh, but that's really all I remember about it. It's it's very forgettable. There's a quote from Chris Chibnall uh, uh, when he was talking about this season. He wrote, uh, he said in uh, Doctor Who magazine, Particularly in that first series, I spent a lot of time helping other authors, other writers. We had some problems toward the end and had to go back and do some big rewrites, which meant that the version of episode 10, the Battle of Rain Square of Kalos, that we filmed was a first draft, but I just didn't have time to do a second draft. It didn't feel enough like a season finale, and that was entirely down to time. And he's right. It it feels like a first mm-hmm. draft. It, it It's, it's forgettable, I mean, in, in that sense. It feels like a filler episode, something in the middle that, oh, we've got one slot we got to fill in. Let's put this here. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're doing the arc thing where you're bringing back the villain from the beginning, that would be this episode. And it just didn't feel enough like it made that connection. So, yeah, yeah I agree with Chris Chibnall. It was not a great episode. Um, <laughs> and one of the things about this season was they, they made a big deal about we were not going to have any Daleks. We're not going to have any Cybermen, no master. It's all going to be new, whatever. And so then we come to the first New Year's special instead of a Christmas special. Uh, and we have Resolution, which introduces the Daleks again. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. laugh at that. I mean, they kept their promise. They did. They did, the se- they did the season with all new opposition. And mm-hmm. and and so, OK, for the holiday special, even though it's not a Christmas special anymore, it's a New Year's Day special, which is not a great. That's not trading <laughs> up. Yeah. Okay? yeah. <laughs> people, people, people do not care about New Year's Day. Mo, let's have the big annual New Year's Day tradition of watching TV together. Really? As I deal with my hangover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so but, you know, it's like, OK, now we get something familiar. Good. We needed to reintroduce the familiar at some point. The Daleks are a good starting point. Mm-hmm. And this is an atypical Dalek story in that it deals basically with a single Dalek um, that is stranded on Earth. And if and has to, like, rebuild Dalek armor for itself. And OK, fine. Other than that. So I thought it was fine, but other pretty forgettable otherwise. Uh, Father Corey, yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was, it was okay. I mean, you had the the scrap metal Dalek. I mean, that's that's pretty much what it's remembered for. That was you know, kind of fun. The, this 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 Dalek, you know, uh, the being, the actual Dalek uh, creature, creating its own shell out of scrap metal, you know, or getting its its shell made out of scrap metal. I should say, because it was controlling a human to do it. And it kind of continues the conspiracy theory that uh, Nick Briggs has something on somebody at the BBC so that the Daleks have to appear at least once in every season 
of Doctor Who for the for well, the rest of his life. <laughs> and Cybermen, you know, and yeah. he either has something or he has a really good contract. Somehow he got a really good contract. One of the two. Right, right. Um, was was Chris Noth in this one again uh, as as Jack Robertson? Or was that am I misremembering that? I think it was a different uh, big corporate. No, no, overlord. It, it was wait. Chris Noth is Jack Robertson is who? Trump, the Trump, analog. the Trump guy. No, he's in next. He's in next year's New Year's okay. special. Yep. Okay. Okay. That's what I was getting confused. There was a different corporate overlord doing something bad in this one. Uh, all right. So that brings us to the uh, season twelve, which begins with the bang of Spyfall, which is a Bond. You know, even right down to the name, it's yeah. like sounds yep. like Skyfall. Uh, so it's a sort of a Bond analog. Uh, and we have the reintroduction of the master this time played by Sasha Dewan. Uh, so, Jimmy, what did you think of this episode? Well, um, I thought it started off on kind of a sour note where you have uh, what's his name? Um, Stephen Fry uh, playing playing someone who has not been informed that the doctor is now a woman. And he pulls off one of the most cringy lines ever when the doctor is introduced to him and it's like, no, of course everyone knows the doctor is a man. And like, dude, your staff needs to brief you. <laughs> right. um, and it's just bad, it, bad writing. And then the doctor says, Oh, I've had an upgrade. It's like, okay. <sighs> Paid by numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the, then we get this interesting spy character named, O, who is sympathetic. And I liked O and <laughs> O is, O is, has, has all this knowledge. He's, he has this knowledge about the doctor. O is really nice. He's really sympathetic. He could be a potential companion and he's the master. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. I that was love a great that. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the second half of Spyfall is not as great. We have this evil British. Um, so he's not the Trump guy, but we have this evil British um, tech billionaire mm -hmm. guy who and he just kind of he just kind of the plot just kind of unspools and he leaves at the end and we never hear of him again and yeah, so right. i thought the the ending of spyfall was not great part one was was a lot of fun especially with O and the reveal as the master yeah yep. father cory Oh, I, I like Spyfall and all with its weaknesses. Yeah. And I, I love, you know, the fact that the master named himself old just to get the that's why I use the name when the when the doctor realized who he was. She goes, oh, oh. he's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's such a master thing. Pick a name where it's just like it leading to something, you know, you know, yeah. uh, so it, it was it. I enjoyed it. It really was a good start to the second season. I, I think it really got the second season off to a pretty decent start all in all. Um, but yeah, it, there, there were some weaknesses to it, but it was, it was, it was fun. Okay. Uh, that brings us to orphan 55. Uh, Father Corey, I'll let you go first and let Jimmy take, take it away on the, on the second part. But go oh. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Most painful episode ever. <laughs> I mean, that was, it was just, you went from, you know, the height of Spyfall to this. Yeah. I mean, it was just, oh, I'm just going to let Jimmy go because he's going to say everything <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm thinking anyways and do it more entertaining than I could. <laughs> All right, Jimmy. <laughs> Worst episode of the season yeah. by a lot. Um, incredible. It's another preachy episode, this time about global warming. And it is, um, it is simply, uh, 
incredibly ham-fisted. It is incredibly on the nose. It um, introduces a bunch of characters who are hard to take seriously. I mean, like we have the character Hyphen, whose name is... and Okay, number one, Hyphen's name is spelled with a three. Hyphen, mm-hmm. hyphen is her name. Hyphen is a squirrel woman with a tail and everything. Um, this character is just a pile of eccentricities, I guess, meant to be funny in a global warming episode that is incredibly ham-fisted. We then have the, uh, we have the, I, I forget his name, um, Nevi, I think, who has the green hair. And his son, Silas, who also has the green hair, um, they're at this spa. Uh, there are these older people, Benny and Vilma, who. Well, anyway, we have this excessively <laughs> and they aren't even all. We have this excessively yeah. large cast. Um, and it turns out the villain is this young woman named Bella who has set explosives around a spa where her mom works and her mom looks nothing like her and doesn't look old enough to be her mom. Mm-hmm. Um, her mom's name is Kane. Um, and this is some kind of revenge family thing in a spa on a futuristic earth that has been corrupted by climate change. And now humans have evolved into these um, creatures uh, that look really repulsive called the dregs. And, and then we get this Aliens 2 or Aliens subplot. I mean, the movie Aliens, where we take a big extended, you know, van out on the tundra and 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 have alien human creatures picking them off. And uh, and, and also <laughs> Ryan sneezes a multi-platform virus, which is actually kind of interesting. You know, you yep. have this virus, it can jump between technological platforms and biological platforms. And that, OK, that's kind of cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then it turns out to be the magic solution to everything. Right. <laughs> and Ryan gets to suck his thumb in this one. Um, <laughs> Literally. So, so, so there's that. Yeah. Um, and and then we get the most at the end, we get a double whammy ending where the doctor after they after they solve the problem and they're back on the TARDIS the doctor gives us a lecture about the dangers of global warming and and then we cut to a stinger of one of the dregs screaming in our faces just to drive the point home right and it's like Guys, this all I the best thing about this episode, I mean, the only good thing about this episode is it inspired Sycorax Rock to to make a um, to make a, a, a musical review based on the number Mambo number five. That's right. So it, nice. it, it so the review is Orphan fifty five, <laughs> and um, and during the course of the musical review, um, Sycorax Rock sings. Um, oh. Uh, the moralizing codas out of place. This episode already made its case. Yes. Mm. Siege base woke case. Picture this with McCoy and Ace <laughs> harking back to the curse of Fenric, which is a base under yeah. siege with creepy future humanoids from a world gone bad. Right. Um, but uh, the, by far, skip the episode. Just listen to the song. It's much better. 
The only thing I would add is there was also a callback to the sixth Doctor story, Mysterious Planet, when they go underground and find the subway station, the Russian subway station that let that's the reveal. It's really Earth, which is yeah something they already did once in the sixth Doctor's time, and and that's in the song too. It's like um uh this was Earth, we wrecked it. Man, just call it the mysterious Captain Planet. <laughs> Mysterious Captain Planet. Yeah, that was good. So, yeah, uh, for for our for people who may not know, Captain Planet was an ecologically themed cartoon show in the 1990s. Yeah. So, uh, that I would agree. We're probably worst of the 13th Doctor stories. I mean, it's there's some competition, but that's up there. The next one is uh Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Um Jimmy, what'd you think of this one? Well, I I liked it a lot better. Um, <laughs> I I liked that we got to see Nikola Tesla. Um, I like the one of the things they do with him in this is portray him as a kind of kind of counterpoint to the Doctor. They're both very similar in terms of of some of their uh, and I won't remember them all, but I remember them playing up the similarities between Nikola Tesla and the doctor as you know, they're both kind of these eccentric inventor science people who are alone and have companions and stuff like that. Um, We also got to see part of um, part of Nikola Tesla's conflict with um, Thomas Edison, which was a real thing. Um, Mm -hmm. The, the science fiction element in this. And, and I liked how by the end they've got Edison and Tesla working on the same side. Mm-hmm. You know, which is which is good, despite the fact they had serious interpersonal conflict in real life. Um, the um, it, uh, I forget if they how much they brought this out in the episode, but in real life, Tesla worked for Edison for a while and they mm-hmm. had a really contentious boss employee relationship. And then after Tesla was no longer working with him, um, Tesla, who invented AC power, um, alternating current power. Yep. Um, was uh, whereas um, Edison was invested in direct current or DC power, and they had these they had what were called the current wars over which kind of current should America electrify with, and among other things like um, Edison shocked an elephant to death to show the uh, the dangers of alternating current. Um, but alternating current worked better. And so <laughs> yeah. Edison, so Tesla ended up winning the current wars. Um, then in this, we have the sci-fi element, which is a kind of scorpion spider person, queen kind of thing, kind of mm-hmm. like the Rachnos spider queen, but it's a scorpion yep. instead. And okay, that's there. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Father Corey? Yeah, and another historical that just had some science fiction-y element, although this was a little less tacked on and because they, they became the main antagonist. The, mm-hmm. the science fiction part became the main antagonist. I like the actor, uh, you know, Czech actor who played Tesla. He did a great job with the role. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, very similar appearance to, to the historical Tesla if you look at uh, pictures. So I think he did a great job in the role. I think it was, it was another one of those that was kind of fun. It was kind of, you know, a run around and, you know, Tesla kind of be geeky and all that kind of stuff. And I enjoyed it. It, it was, it was yeah. a fun one. Tesla's such a mysterious figure in, in history, just in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I almost feel like they could have done more with those mysterious aspects. Oh, of him. Yeah. I mean, Tesla yeah. thought yep. he was talking to people on the planet Mars with a radio. Yeah. 
And he, he was. It was the uh, <laughs> Scorpion Rachnos. And then just like all the other the claims of things that Tesla invented and, you know, that we've lost and yeah. that sort of stuff. I kind of felt like we, we could have done more with that sort of thing. But we will yeah. be doing a mysterious world on Tesla in the future. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. Cool. So let's now move to the fugitive doctor and the fugitive of the Jadoon, the return Yay. of the Jadoon. Yes. Uh, Father Corey, uh, the fugitive of the Jadoon. Well, I mean, let, let's let's say that this much better treatment of the Jadoon than they got originally. Yeah. Um, they actually were a threat, you know, and like before they were just ridiculous with everything ending in O, everything where they said ending yep. in O. Yep. Um, and which, of course, which is dumb because their their species name doesn't even do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they ought to be the Jodo uh, or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, Doctor Ruth. I mean, yep. what more needs to be said there? I mean, introduced, frankly, the better of the two doctors for the thirteenth Doctor run, um, and and did it in a well done way where it wasn't like, oh, by the way, this is another Doctor. How is this person here? She had, you know, the chameleon arch, didn't remember she was the doctor. Yep. Buried the TARDIS. And then, of course, you know, these, you have that scene where, where Jodie Whittaker's doctor is digging out the TARDIS and yep. sees the police box and everything. Just well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jimmy? Yeah. So I really enjoyed this. Uh, this is a, 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 you know, and they kept it secret what the reveal was going to be. So this was genuinely surprising as the episode developed and you start picking up hints that, that Ruth Clayton is the doctor and then they confirm it yep. and she is in. And then we get a little mini adventure with the, with the fugitive doctor as the, um, as the protagonist with her time Lord enemy Gat and the 13th doctor is kind of a tag along character. And, the Fugitive Doctor is so much more compelling. <laughs> yes. Why didn't you hire this actress to be the 13th Doctor? Right. You know, and and skip all the preaching and stuff. Just give me her straightforward adventure. You gave us a little mini adventure with her that was straightforward. She wasn't constantly preaching. It was it, it was tied up in a dramatic situation. They killed her companion. And mm -hmm. I mean, the Time Lords did. Um so, or the Jadoon with the Time Lords did. Yep. Um, it, it's like, I would so much more rather watch this character. It, well, it goes to prove that criticisms of Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor wasn't yeah. misogynistic. This would have been a great female Doctor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I, don't, I, I, yeah. I, mentioned, I mentioned we were talking earlier about, you know, Russell T. Davies hinting at wanting a, like a Hooniverse, you know, a extended universe mm -hmm. of, of shows. A Ruth Doctor series, miniseries would be fantastic. That oh, yeah. would be so worth watching, mm -hmm. yep. you know, because it's such a compelling. And every time she's been brought back in later seasons, it's been compelling. It's been interesting. We've wanted to see more of her. At least I've wanted to see more of her. I, I would I would love for Russell T. Davies to do a, a mm -hmm. Fugitive Doctor, you know, series. Um, I'd love to see it set back in the dark times, you know, when mm -hmm. she's apparently from, although you can all, she's still running around in the present. So you could, you <laughs> yeah. could do her, a present based series with her. Um, I mean, I've already bought the, I've pre-ordered the, um, the sets that big finish is doing, 
uh, for the Fugitive Doctor. I can't wait for them to come out. They're apparently going to be set in the present times rather than the dark times. Nice. But um, but I can't wait for those to come out. I would love to see Russell T. Davies do that. And we would have a successful, enjoyable female mm-hmm. doctor mm-hmm. show. <laughs> uh, yes. For my part, I I was pleased with how well they they hid her who she really was for so long in this episode. I often can sniff these things out. I didn't. And I was really happy with that. Um, that it also this episode brought back Jack Harkness for good or for ill, mostly for ill and mm-hmm. uh, reintroduced some elements of the timeless child. Kind of, you know, how does how could the fugitive doctor fit in with the 13 doctors plus war doctor? Like, how does this all work? So it introduced some more of that mystery uh, and also brought up the lone Cyberman who would become important at the end of the season. So we get the first mm-hmm. mention of that as well. So I feel like all around, this was a pretty successful episode. I, I was, I was pleased mm-hmm. with this one. Um, all right. So then there's Praxius. Uh, the plague bad. related episode. Yep. <laughs> yes. yes. More, more climate uh, change and or whatever uh, environmentalism. Another, yeah. Another high to low. You go from the great, you know, the, the great fugitive of the June to this. And again, this is just another one, you know, the disease that turns people to plastic basically because of the, all the plastic that was in the ocean. Right. And all this other stuff, you know, we got all these microplastics within us and it's just. Plus uh, Hitchcock's the birds for some reason. <laughs> yep. Jimmy, what did you think of Praxius? Plastic bad. <laughs> plastic <laughs> bad. Yes. Microplastics. Everyone has to know about microplastics. Uh, all right. So let's move on from that. Uh, can you hear me? I I didn't even remember this one. <laughs> yeah, it's got a it's mm. it's a TV show with a cartoon in it. Right, yeah. right. What did what did you think of this one, Father Corey? Uh, you know, I, again, I'm looking at the wiki, you know, interest or synopsis on it. It's like, I don't remember it. You know, one thing it mentions that it it kind of advances the uh, timeless child stuff, but. I don't remember this one at all. It's, it's, I really don't. It's, I know it's very hard to remember, but it's the one where um, they go to 1300s Aleppo in Syria. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and there's there's a there's a kind of there's a some kind of strange across time connection between a girl from Aleppo and the future. And it also it does have a cartoon in it that it guys. And Star Trek has done this, too, where they think they're being profound by telling us something in the form of a cartoon of an ancient legend. Mm, Stop right. that, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that, yeah. Yeah. This had the the not Eternals. Um, mortals. What was the, 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 the from the classic who the. Just oh, like the Guardian, the yeah, White Guardian, Black Guardian. The, yeah. the sort of gods, Zelen and Rakaya. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this one has also infamously had uh, Yasmin dealing with her suicidal thoughts. Uh, yeah. That, that after school mm. special thing that they had at the end, which, uh, you know. Today on a very special episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I don't want to make light of, you know, suicide. None of us do. Of course, we're not making light of that. It's the ham fisted way in which they kind of drop this after school special style of this. I mean, if that's if anything, that's treating it lightly is to tack it Mm -hmm. on to the end of this episode. Well, and and just so I've been kind of holding this back, but 
you know, I was going to mention it when we talk about the companions, but they gave each of the three canyon three companions this season a disability. Mm-hmm. Graham is a cancer survivor. Ryan has dyspraxia and Yaz has depression and suicidal thoughts. And it's like, okay, wait, three companions and they all have disabilities and they're gallivanting around the universe. I mean, that is too much, dude. And and furthermore, I mean, you, you if you're if you're severely disabled. okay, there's a reason Indiana Jones doesn't have dyspraxia. Right. When you're mm-hmm. when you're running through the temple with the idol, you need to have good muscular coordination. Yep. If you're going to be running through alien planets and environments and corridors with the doctor, you're going to need that. And yep. and similarly, you can't be constantly wallowing in your own depression and you can't be constantly worrying about your own health. So none of them do. They immediately <laughs> drop these these disabilities they've given them so yeah. it's like um it's like chris chibnall wanted to make some kind of statement by having three disabled companions all at once and then because it's not practical to be a time-space adventurer with a major disability the disabilities have to just vanish and not be not be explored at all beyond a single episode discussing them right and this happens to be one for Yaz. So, um, so, so that's, yeah. Can you hear me? Then we get to the beginning of what essentially is a three episode arc, although the last two episodes truly form a two parter, but this, yep. this one introduces it. So the haunting of Villa Diodati, uh, which takes up a real story about, um, uh, Shelley, uh, well, it's it? about the writing of Frankenstein with right. Mary Shelley and Lord Byron and mm-hmm. a couple other people who were holed up at the Via Diodati in Geneva in the year without a summer after right. after um, after uh, the volcano exploded and caused a temporary Krakatoa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And caused a temporary global extended winter. OK, thank you for <laughs> helping me with that. Mm-hmm. So. uh what happens is instead of Frankenstein's monster, or at least we were to believe is Frankenstein's monster is inspired by the, the lone Cyberman who gets introduced in this episode. Um, what'd you think of this one, Jimmy? Uh, I remember enjoying it. It was certainly a lot better than the, than the ones that surrounded it. Um, I mean, it's still a Chris Chibnall era episode, so it's, it's not marvelous, but it was mm-hmm. a lot better. Um, the Lone Cyberman is an interesting character in that he's half converted and we can even see his face because his armor is damaged. Yeah. Um, but he's like a Cyberman fanatic. He he like mm-hmm. has a backstory. He has a tragic backstory. He credits uh, his his upgrade with ending his pain and he wants to see everybody else's pain ended too. So he's like a he's like a real Cyberman fanatic, but he still has emotions. Um, yeah. We also get to see the Siberium, which is this. It looks like it's floating Mercury, mm-hmm. but it's um, the cyber control nexus for for the all cyber kind, I guess. Um, and it, it sets up our, um, our motion towards the climax. Uh, and it was, it was well done. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it mm-hmm. seeing Mary Shelley. Um, 
And in fact, Mary Shelley is such an interesting character in Big Finish. She's actually been a companion of the Byron-esque Eighth Doctor. Oh, mm. cool. Uh, Father mm. Corey? Yeah, this 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 was the historical part was enjoyable, you know, with Mary Shelley and all them was 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 very it was, it was enjoyable. It was kind of fun. You're really a little bit ridiculous, but of course, but fun. <laughs> um, and then yes, the the Lone Sire Room and Ashad being introduced and in, in you know later fleshed out uh, over the next couple episodes in season. And of course, we see him in the uh, the Power of the Doctor or a cloned version of him in the Power of the Doctor. Right. So. So that then brings us to the final two episodes, the two-parter for this season, Ascension of the Cybermen and the Timeless Children. Um, Father Corey, what did you think of these? This, these take us to the end of the universe again. Uh, oh, yes. What did you think of this? Well, and, and of course, this, this is where we get the ridiculousness of the master turning the bodies of the Time Lords into Time Lord Cybermen. Yep. Which again come out later too, but it's just it was okay. I mean, it was it was a Cyberman story. I mean, you can't get much more than that. I mean, it was a ship full of Cybermen, and of course, the shot is there, and you know, bringing back, bringing back the the trying to bring back the Cyber Empire and all that kind of stuff. I I remember it being just kind of a, a typical Cyberman action story. Nothing really stands out to me as as I think about these. Of course, until you get to Gallifrey with the Timeless Child reveal how the master reveals the doctor that yes you are the timeless child all these flashbacks you've been having are of what really happened to you and things like that so yeah jimmy how about you what would you think of these so the first one ascension of the cybermen i remember them having an ineffective fight with the cybermen where the doctor has finally allowed and she because of her stupid anti-gun thing <laughs> um she is requiring her companions to use um, kind of toned down alternative weapon systems that all immediately fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have to once again rely. It's just like any pacifists. You have to rely on people who aren't pacifists to protect you, <laughs> and um, which is part of the innate hypocrisy of pacifism. Unless you're willing to just die. Um, and so other uh, people who've actually been fighting the cyber wars are like Kosharmas, who's a new character that's introduced, um, end up being more effective. Um, then we get into the timeless, the timeless children whose name is ambiguous. I mean, I, I, I kept for the longest time wondering, okay, is that a reference to the doctor and the master, but I think no. The answer is that the timeless children are all the doctor, because um, they reveal that um, what's her name, Tectayun, uh, the doctor's foster mother, killed her a bunch of times in the process yeah. of exploring regeneration. Um, so, so I like the retcon of there are pre-William Hartnell doctors. That's fine. They mm-hmm. established that back in Tom Baker's era with the Morbius doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, they I'm glad they are no longer in denial about that. And frankly, that was the better position to be in because it creates more. It allows you to have more mystery about the doctor because there are whole big parts of the doctor's life we've never seen. And those can be 
you know, you can drop little hints about those without fundamentally taking away the mystery of the doctor. Um, you also don't have to worry about the stupid artificial regeneration limit that they established also later in Tom Baker's reign. Um, so I, I, I like it in principle. I don't like Tech Tayun, um, because Tech Tayun is the very f- okay tech Yoon invents space flight and and goes on this interstellar adventure where she finds the the primitive uh, original child that will become the doctor you know the primitive root of the doctor um and and brings her back to gallifrey and then sees her die and regenerate and then decides to start killing her and experimenting on her to acquire the process of regeneration. And and she's such an amazing scientist that she invented space, and not, not just space flight, but interstellar space flight. Mm-hmm. And she's a medical genius and a war, you know, a, a medical criminal and all this and and one person did all this because girl power? Really? <laughs> um, yeah. Here on Earth, interplanetary space flight requires big teams of people. In any event, um, so I'm not a huge fan of Tech Dayun. Also, the they I don't think they played this right. I don't think Chris Chibnall, and this has been confirmed in some things he said later. Um, he didn't really have too much of a plan for what to do with the Timeless Child storyline, which is a mistake. Because it, once you've created that, you want to explore it. He also um, is, is, I think, failed to exploit potential that is there. Jody Whitaker is mad after the revelation of the timeless children because of what it says about her identity. And she's frankly over-concerned. I mean, the master puts, she's like, I know who I am. I know my life. It's like, and the master correctly says, yeah, all that happened. But there was a time before. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to be freaking out about that. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's kind of unsettling, but you know what's even more unsettling? Your foster mother tortured and killed you repeatedly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's a little more dramatic. You suffered severe, fatal child abuse repeatedly. And, um, you know, okay, so that's something you kind of might want to explore. Right. Mm. But we don't. Um, we eventually get a really quick wrap up with Tech Tayun in the next season. Um, I'm also not wild about the so-called Cybermasters. And frankly, I'm not wild about the master having killed everyone on Gallifrey. I think that was a mistake. Um, they because effectively when new, when we got New Who in 2005, Russell T. Davies had killed everybody on Gallifrey. And the doctor mm-hmm. was the last of the time lords. And then later we get the master and then we get Gallifrey kind of back. And we've been building towards a return to the status quo ante where mm-hmm. Gallifrey and we never we never fully got there to where Gallifrey is. Yeah, it's an it's one of the planets It's out in the universe. It's where the doctor is from. And we occasionally go there and we never really got back to that mm. um and 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 then 
we're, we're almost there. I mean, the doctor did, the 12th doctor did at least visit Gallifrey once, mm-hmm. um, even though it was like at the end of the universe. Um, and then... Wham, everyone, everyone's <laughs> dead again. It's like right. off yep. off screen. We didn't even get to see. We didn't even have a time war. We're just told he killed everyone in some unspecified manner. I think that was a mistake. Yeah, right. I also with the, the well, they introduced the division as well, which is a sort of yeah. Section 31-esque thing. Which again, they, they already have yeah. one for Gallifrey. It's called the Celestial Intelligence Agency or the CIA. Mm-hmm. Right. So there was a lot of introduction of new lore, some of which is good, but most of which they just haven't done anything with. And I'm kind of, well, I mean, we could talk about what we hope for with the Russell T Davies era, but you know, there's still a lot of unmined potential here, but I I agree for the Mm -hmm. most part with, with what both of you had said about these episodes. Uh, So that brings us to the next new year's special, which returns us to the Daleks, the revolution of the Daleks. Um, and <laughs> this one, uh, wh- well, Jimmy, what'd you think of Revolution of the Daleks? Yeah, it was something that happened on New Year's and it had that Donald Trump guy in it again. See, yeah. this is where I got confused because it was the, uh, because we had two New Year's specials with, with the Daleks return. This one had, uh, Jack Robertson in it and not the other mm-hmm. one. Um, Father Corey, yeah. anything memorable? Yeah. Well, this was, this was a continuation of the last one, uh, the last New Year's Day special. And it was just, yeah, it was, you know, it, you had corporate and government colluding to you try to mine the Dalek technology and they end up creating new Daleks and they fight other Daleks. And yeah, and yeah, like you said, Donald Trump guy was back. Yes. Orange hair man back. The end. <laughs> All right. And then from there. Oh, oh, and we also forgot the doctor was in jail. For yeah. whatever reason. Well, because oh, the right. Jadoon at the end of of the Timeless Children, the um, the Jadoon hopped in, beamed into the TARDIS and grabbed her because right, she's, right. she's still a fugitive. The Time Lords still have an, have an active contract on her, apparently, with the Jadoon. Yep. Right. Right. That's right. Uh, we also didn't mention that she was in the Matrix for a, a big part of the Timeless Children as well, uh, which was, mm-hmm. wasn't all that memorable. But um, yeah, the Matrix is never memorable. At best, it's a holodeck. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, and that brings us to the flux, which was the the final series anyway for the the thirteenth mm-hmm. Doctor season thirteen. It's a six episode single story. So they just divided it into six parts. Uh, so, uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy, what'd you think of the flux? It was a big step up. Um, mm-hmm. For they dropped all the preaching and gave us straight ahead storytelling. That was good. Um, of course, Chris Chibnall's doing his his usual thing. I mean, like Dan's girlfriend, uh, Dan is the new companion for the Flux now that Graham and Ryan have left. Um, Dan is is uh, has a girlfriend who is missing a hand because we got to mm-hmm. get our disabled person in there again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, I don't have any problem with disabled people being in the show, but let's have some tatis- statistical realism. You know, um, it, it 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 should be in proportion to society. Mm-hmm. Um, in any event, um, so uh, it starts out with the Halloween apocalypse. We get the introduction of Carvanista, who is a great character. I love oh, Carvanista; yeah. is awesome. He's the dog <laughs> character. Uh, and later, we're going to find out he was a companion of the Doctor in mm-hmm. in the Doctor Ruth era. 
Um, And so uh, so that's cool. Um, We get the villains Swarm and Azure, who are also from the Dark Times um, and have a regeneration like technology because Swarm regenerates in the first episode. Uh, they have a plan to un, to destroy the universe, and and the flux is doing that. You know, large chunks of it are being destroyed. Um, the, the the I like that Carvanista's race, the Lupari, are species bonded to Earth. So <laughs> dogs are man's best friend. They're here That's to right. save us. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> And uh, we get the Weeping Angels. We get Professor Jericho, and I forget the name of his uh, his research subject. Uh, Claire, is it? Um, yeah, Claire. And and it's a it you know it's a it's a big story. There are some ups and downs in the course of the story. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of like the um, you know the Santaran stuff, although they are at least better. And are portrayed as as a threat and treated more seriously than they have been recently. We also have some other characters like Vendor and his wife, who seem to be thrown in for no reason. Uh, right. I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately that doesn't go anywhere. That we had theories. <laughs> we had we had theories, yep. but it appears that Chris Chibnall likes coming up with stuff he has no real plans to pay off. Yeah, re- mm-hmm. repeatedly. Um, we also had um um I'm trying to think what else we had. There's weeping a lot angels. of stuff in this. Well we had yeah, we had the weeping angels and they were played kind of nicely. Um so overall I enjoyed the flux. I, I think that it was mispaced a bit. Mm-hmm. Um it was it was certainly fast and I would prefer that to slow. Mm-hmm. And I would prefer fast pacing to preaching yeah. at us. Um, so overall, I thought the flux was, was a big step up. How about you, Father Corey? Oh yeah. I I think this was really the highlight of, uh, the Chimnal era, at least as far as seasons were concerned. This was the the best of the three actual seasons. Um, it, it did in some ways, I remember saying when we were discussing these episodes that this kind of felt more like classic who only in so far as it's a serial, Mm -hmm. you know, a season of serial instead of uh, individual episodes with an overarching plot uh, or, you know, or overarching storyline that that is filled out as knew who had been doing. Um, It was, yeah, there's a lot that was enjoyable about it. You know, a few missteps as everything else is, you know, of course you've got the, you know, the entire universe is going to be destroyed unless, but you know, for doing as, that's different from doing a episode of, you know, the entire universe would be destroyed versus an entire season based on that. You know, we like, yeah. we've just started talking about the fourth doctor's key to time series, which was a similar, you know, the universe needs to be reset kind of thing. Uh, a little bit different. And it was, you know, a MacGuffin hunt is really what that season was. Yeah. But, you know, again, you've got this, it, it's a serial of, of season instead of a, an overarching storyline that connects all the episodes. So I, I really liked that. I did like you know, the way they brought in the different uh, enemies of the doctor, you know, again, the angels, even that, that scene of the doctor being frozen as an angel mm-hmm. was really creepy. We're all kind of good. At least I was like, okay, that's a new one. The doctor <laughs> just became an angel, right. you know, and, and things like that, um, that they, they did a really good job of, and, and each episode just built into the, the final 
conflict, the final event. Uh, Tech Tayun, of course, comes in and gets dealt with. I was just going to mention that. we have the brief reappearance of Tech Tayun that's kind of wasted. Yeah. yeah and, and I would have liked to have seen her being used through more of the, the season, uh, kind of as the more the connector, because it turns out she's the one that's kind of running this whole flux thing that's destroying right. the universe. So, uh, but, but, you know, it was, it was, it was a very interesting, interesting season. It was, uh, I agree with Jimmy. It was too quick. It was, it was probably a little too short. It probably could. And I, I seem to recall, you know, discussion about, you know, should there have been maybe two more episodes? And if they had two more episodes, could they have flush fleshed this out more? I remember discussing that several times. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I, I remember reading or hearing that like the, Sea Devils special was originally meant to be part of Flux. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be in favor of expanding Flux just to include something like that. I would right. I would say I would be in favor of expanding Flux if you would explore and pay off some of the stuff you've already left on the table, not mm-hmm. just cramming more new stuff into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree with, on the on the high points with you guys as well. Uh, I like the introduction of Dan as a companion. I think mm-hmm. he worked out pretty well. I missed uh, Graham, uh, who I still was my favorite from the 13th Doctor, but uh, Dan worked out. Uh, they did introduce the unfortunate Yaz Doctor thing, which I did which not is, like that. Which is ridiculous because they mm-hmm. that that started out as a fan thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there was nothing. Yeah. In the beginning of the of the Chris Chibnall era of Doctor Who to suggest a romantic relationship between um, between the Doctor and Yaz, whereas there had been with companions like Rose Tyler and mm-hmm. Clara. And although it was not reciprocated, Amy Pond at first. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. but, but we went through multiple years and a couple of seasons of there's no on-screen basis for this. You just had, you know, fan imaginations going crazy on Twitter. And eventually Chris Chibnall decides to pick it up and make it part of the show because whatever. And mm-hmm. it comes out of nowhere. It is not. It is not set up. It's just okay. This is just. This is just cheap fan service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it's not. And it's not going to go anywhere. Right, so right. It, it's. It's just worthless. It's just an annoying distraction. So well, nobody's going to be happy long, with it. Yeah, yeah. If you follow fandom long enough, you'll find relationshiping or shipping yeah. and like everything. I, I'm I'm sure if you dig deep enough, there's probably shipping between different incarnations every, of the Doctor out there. Yeah, every, it's you know, everywhere. I mean, yeah. it, it, and so this is this is no different than you know Fifty Shades of Grey coming out of uh, Twilight. Right. You know, sure. So that brings us to the uh, the specials, the 2022 specials. No, 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 have... no, 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 no. We got the New Year's Day special. Well, that's what I mean. It includes the, the three oh, okay. 2022 specials. Okay. New Year's Day is technically yeah. 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's New Year's Day, another Dalek episode, Eve of the Daleks. Um, Jimmy? Yeah. <laughs> Finally, a fun Dalek episode. I mean, yep. the, yes. the, the, the first special, the first New Year's Day special was, yeah, it was okay. We got a, we got a rust bucket Dalek. Second one was, ugh. Um, this one is fun. We get time travel on New Year's Eve and looping and, you know, are there plot holes? Yes, of course. 
course. It's not it's not perfect. But in terms of just fun factor, we get a couple we get a meet cute between the owner of the self storage facility and the customer who shows up every New Year's Eve. <laughs> and and we have Daleks and looping and yeah, this one's fun. I enjoyed this. Nick and Sarah, they were really great. Yeah. Yeah. Father Corey, how, would, how yeah. about you? Oh, yeah, I, I like this and, you know, how they would learn from loops, you mm-hmm. know, and how they could kind of figure things out. And yeah. yeah, it was it was it was well done. It was. uh, uh, Yeah, it was just it was just fun. It was it was it was good adventure. And of course, you had to have the, the closing of of the, the, the uh, storage unit being destroyed. So all the fireworks can be going off right at midnight. <laughs> of in, course. You know, I think in New, on New Year's Day, I think so, it's a rule. Yeah, it, was, it was fun. Yeah. I, sorry. I think it's a rule that holiday specials, whether it's Christmas and New Year's, they should be fun above all. And, uh, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be a downer. And this was fun. There was a lot of fun about this. There was a lot of comedy, a lot of good jokes, a lot of serious moments, but it was really good. And the introduction of these two secondary characters, Sarah and Nick, I think worked out really well. Uh, so then that brings us to the next special, which was the first Easter special, although the episode had nothing to do with Easter. It just <laughs> coincidence of timing. Um, Legend of the Sea Devils. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Father Corey. It had the sea devils. Um, <laughs> you had the uh, pirates, pirates, Fe- female pirate because girl power. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, based on a real female pirate, I guess. But yeah, yeah. that's true. Yep. But still, yeah. still, yeah, it was OK. It was it was fun. Whatever. OK, <laughs> Jimmy, I thought it was less fun. Okay. Um, I it I the plot holes in it were just too big for me. It, it there were lots of plot holes. It was, um, it was not. I mean, okay, the Sea Devils were in it, but there was just a ton of stuff that didn't make sense. So, I thought it was mediocre. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't actively like. Oh, this is the worst thing ever. It's not. It's just to my mind, it's quite mediocre. Yeah, I would agree. It was interesting because we talked about the original Sea Devils episode around the same time as this came out. And so mm-hmm. it was fun to kind of juxtapose those and to see what a modern interpretation of that would be. But in general, it was mostly forgettable. I mean, pirates are always fun, but, you know, that that's as far as that goes. Fant- uh, fantasy yeah. pirates are always fun. Yep. Yes. Yes. Except when it- they're not. <laughs> like in Curse of the Black Spot. Those, yes. That was not fun. <laughs> That was not as fun. Mm. So then we have the what was it? Was this the three hundredth story overall? The 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 regeneration special, but uh, in any case, it was the special to mark the BBC centenary. And so we get the power of the Doctor, which we just talked about last last time. So uh, we don't probably don't have to go too much over this. But as a capper of the Chibnall and Thirteenth Doctor era, Jimmy, what do you think of the power of the Doctor? I, I think it may be the best single story including flux uh to my Mm. mind flux is the only real competitor in terms of was it was it you know what i would sit down what what would i want to sit down and watch for fun Mm -hmm. um i mean there are some others that had fun elements in them uh but i think this i think it may have been the best it had a complex plot that went in some daring directions like the forced regeneration of the master doctor wow Mm -hmm. um you know other stuff you know getting to see all these companions former companions like ace and tegan is great um 
former doctors, yeah. former the former doctors were worked in in a way that yeah. was believable um, and didn't overshadow the 13th doctor. Um so I thought it had a lot of good stuff in it. Um, it had flaws also, you know, but, uh, but I thought it was good overall. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was, it was, it was enjoyable. It may have been the best thing that Chris Chibnall has done. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Father Corey. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this, uh, of course, you know, you, you had the, the, the companions, Ace and Tegan, you know, the two, two of the great classic who companions, and it, it was full of all kinds of classic who fan service. It was, you know, an enjoyable, um, that scene, of course, of the master dancing to Rasputin by Monian was, <laughs> I still watch it on YouTube and laugh the, the, the Dalek and the Cyberman looking at each other kind of going, what is this guy on? You know, um, it was it was a it was a fun episode like like you said Jimmy it was a very it had some complexity to it it had some uh, some interesting plot lines it was it was it was a good send off for the thirteenth Doctor I will say it, it's sad though that yeah probably the best episode of the thirteenth Doctor was her last mm. you know we've talked about some other episodes that were enjoyable but nothing compared to this this is one I absolutely would watch again you know mm-hmm. one of those where yeah you know i'll watch the, the power of the doctor again it was it was fun it was a good episode even if it's title means be- nothing <laughs> yeah exactly and, mm-hmm. and you know you gotta say it at least ian chesterton came back for something yes and this is where they brought him back yes i mean that that that's that it was so great to see william russell again and, and you know even if it was just for like a you know 30 second appearance on screen it was great it was great to see him He's he's also done some stories for Big Finish recently, so I'm going to be checking those oh, out. Yeah. Oh, cool. Good. So that that's our wrap up of the stories. Uh, we were going to also talk about the companions, and uh, so Jimmy, why don't you go first and talk about some thoughts about the companions for the Thirteenth Doctor? They're all terrible. Um, <laughs> the uh, in terms of the writing for them, they are all terrible, mm-hmm. including Graham and Dan. Um, the thing that makes Graham and Dan stand out is the acting. It is, mm-hmm. it is because of who the actors are that, that makes them more enjoyable. Um, yeah. so I, of, of, of the four companions she had, Graham and Dan are clearly the best and it is not down to the writing or the character development or anything because they don't really have that. It is down to the mm-hmm. fact that they were played by comedians who brought some life to these characters. Yes. And made them likable. Mm-hmm. Um, so so um, I enjoyed Graham. I enjoyed Dan. But they're, you know, they, they're other, but they're pretty flat. All mm-hmm. of these characters are really flat in terms of the writing. Um, I mean, if you, if you think about um, there is so Red Letter Media did a review of The Phantom Menace where they posed uh, to show the difference in the writing between the original character and the original trilogy and the prequels of Star Wars. Um, They said, okay, think of as many without saying what the person's job is or what they look like. Think of as many adjectives as you can to to describe the following character. And then they would say something like Han Solo. Oh, he's a womanizer. He's really sure of himself. He's overconfident. He's got a, he's a rogue. He's got a heart of gold and they have no problem coming up with uh, or C3PO. Uh he's uh prissy. He's cowardly. He's they have no problem describing these original series characters. Then they would say Qui-Gon Jinn. 
And the person they're interviewing will say, which one was he? You know, <laughs> and he's kind of stern, you know, and so like, let's try that with without saying what they look like or what their job is. Graham. Uh, yeah, funny. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. 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 Uh, Largely down to the actor. What else? Uh, gr- gr- grieving, uh, you know, a dealing yeah, with grief. really, really dealing yeah. with grief a lot. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's hard it is hard yeah uh-huh okay yeah. ryan uh complaining a lot yeah mm-hmm. grumpy grumpy he's mm-hmm. always grumpy and um <laughs> not much more than that uh talks back to you know he's adolescent yeah mm-hmm. not much For more than that post adolescent but okay yeah yeah yes Ernest uh wants to be like the doctor d- d- like a Dr. Mini, uh, Father Corey, jump in. It's, don't put me on <laughs> no, the no. hot spot. <laughs> no, 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 no. This, this, is, this is your game. Uh, I got my own thoughts I'll bring up here in a minute. Dan. Lonely uh, was, was a clear indicator from the beginning of the flux mm-hmm. that uh, he was um, lonely and um, but not much more than that. Jamie. Oh, Scottish. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, with all that it deals. Uh, so vibrant, full life, interested in exploring, um, takes charge a lot with the doctor, you know, leaps into the adventure, is the action hero, um, uh, protective of like Victoria. And yes, I mean, there's a lot more to say. Donna. <laughs> um, funny. Uh, opinionated, um, does not want to be thought of as the doctor's girlfriend. Uh, so not attracted to the doctor at all. Um, <laughs> family is important to her, but she's got uh, problems with her mom, has classic mom problems, loves her grandfather. Yes. I mean, there's a lot yeah. to say about Donna. So, yeah. so you see, you see now, father, did you want to jump in on any of these? Oh, no, no. I, I think you made your point quite well about uh, <laughs> Chimnall's companion writing. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I, 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 I agree that the, the companions, you know, I, I, I part of it is I as a critique I have against Chimnall's. I like you said, he likes to throw things out there and just not develop them. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like these companions were that, you know, you, you mentioned Graham where he was, you know, he obviously acted by Bradley Walsh, who's a comedian if you've seen some of his comedic stuff online he really is a great comedian he's he's quite talented and you can see he wanted to bring in that humor he wanted to bring into that that uh and it just made graham kind of the comic relief for a lot of episodes they did try to develop him sympathetically and i think he was probably the more successful but that doesn't mean he was successful he was just more successful right in developing the sympathy between his cancer survival and losing his wife very early on in the, in the, the, the season in the series. Um, you know, so he really was a standout as far as that concerned. Graham is really a double disabled companion because he's a cancer survivor who's dealing with eminent grief. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he kind of played it up as the humor was kind of trying to cover some of mm-hmm. that, which is, which is what some people do. Some people that if they're grieving, if they're going through difficult times in their lives, that's when their humor comes out more. 
Mm. And that's kind of how they cope with it. And that's fine. That's for some people, that's probably a good thing. Um, no, you know, I remember and, the and day Dan, I died, I told a joke within a few hours of my wife dying. It wasn't a good joke, right. but it was what I had. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's just, you know, some people that's just, that's, that's a, like I said, a very good thing for them. Cause that's healing for them to be able to laugh about stuff. Um, and Dan was kind of the similar character in that way. But again, you got John Bishop, who was a comedian, um, had a lot of potential there. Um, I think if he could have been a character that was developed by somebody who was more willing to actually develop his character could have been a, a good. And they, they hinted that there was there was more to him. They kept dropping these little hints like that. There's there's something more to Dan. And they completely just set it aside. Yeah. Did like he could have been another one of these kind of like Ace where there was more to Ace that they did develop over her time mm-hmm. that they could have done with Dan that he wasn't just this guy who liked football, you know, British football and, and like mm-hmm. Di- uh, Diane. And that was kind of about all he was in a little bit of humor, but that there was more to him. And they, again, they dropped that completely. In fact, dropping him completely from the last episode after about five minutes, you know, he had one last adventure and that's like, I'm done. And that was the last of him. Um, Ryan, yeah, he was the weakest of the bunch. He he was there. He was sarcastic. He was bitter. And he was gone. Yeah. Like a yeah. bad parody so, of a Gen Y, Gen Z, or whatever you want to say. Yeah. yeah. Moody. You know, just, like in our adjectives exercise, you notice you I mean we were able to come up where you were Dom were able to come up with a few adjectives for the companions. But in the case of Yaz and Ryan they were bad adjectives yeah. that mm-hmm. would not want you to be, you would not want to spend time around a person who is primarily characterized by those adjectives. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 well, and going to Yaz, you know, I, I think my, my description of her would be, eh. yeah, just, yeah, she's there. Oh, of course. She's we, we know she's the greatest companion because she's that, so amazing and that. awesome. And they've told yeah. us, they've told us repeatedly, even though they've never shown us. I, I was I was just going to say that, that you, Jimmy, had regularly referred to her as being told that she's the greatest person ever, that ever, ever existed. She's the bestest person ever, although we never saw that on screen. We, once in a while, we'd see something where they're, you know, the doctor and her are hanging from those mon- manacles above the acid pit or mm-hmm. acid planet or whatever it was. Uh, you know, other than that, it's just like uh, she was there. And again, another character that had some potential because, you know, you'd think she would be a, she was a confident character at least sometimes when the writing needed her to be a confident character. But as you know, somebody who had gone through the police Academy and it was, you know, a rookie on the police force, but still, you know, made it to the police force. And then she just kind of once in a while would be a, you know, just kind of wilt away. And, you know, the idea that she had depression issues in her past. I mean, that's a lot of people struggle with that. And I think that is a good thing to bring up once in a while, have a character like that, that struggles with those kind of issues. But, at one minute, she would be this, you know, depression, this person dealing with depression. Next minute, she's Supergirl. Right. You know, and it's, and there was, you know, kind of not really well developed either way. So one of the things I think is interesting is, is they're going to go from some of the worst batches of companions to one of the best Doctor uh, companion pairings in New Who for, with, with yeah. Tennant and, uh, you know, the, the, the 14th Doctor and Donna. And it's going to be yep. a super contrast and it's probably for the best that they're waiting a year to show us this because we would, <laughs> if we saw this on Christmas day, it would be really jarring. Well, 
And it was even a contrast in Power of the Doctor because you had Ace and Tegan who were strong companions. Yeah. Tegan sometimes a little too strong. Yeah. But that's another story. Um, but these were both popular companions that Ace was especially strong, you know, mm-hmm. blow things up, mm-hmm. beat it up, beat up a Dalek with a baseball bat. Um, and then you had the 13th Doctor companions. Probably the best scene of the 13th Doctor Companions in that episode was when Ace ran into Graham and they kind of started hitting on each other. I saw that. I, saw, I thought of that. You know, speaking of, you know, the Chibnall era, one of the things that characterized it, they said from up front, was they were going to go and get new voices as writers. They're going to go out and find. And I have no problem with finding new good writers to introduce some new blood. That's awesome. But it felt like. A lot of the times these writers didn't really get Doctor Who. They were more concerned with mm-hmm. whatever other agendas they were running or just more. It was felt generic in some cases, um, you know, yeah. whereas Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat, they had their they had their troubles. I mean, Russell, let's not forget mm-hmm. Russell T. Davies gave us those awful farty aliens. Uh, but nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless. We had a lot of great, you had Neil Gaiman and we had, uh, you know, Mark Gatiss brought, gave us some really good episodes. And, you know, we had some really good writing in those. And I feel like on the writing level, Chibnall's era is just, it, it kind of failed. And I mean, there were some bright points, but overall, it just was well, not that great. And that's like, you go back and I, I was hoping he would better be better as a showrunner than as a writer. Because <laughs> you go back and you look at the scripts that he did for Doctor Who. They're largely meh. Yeah. 42. 42 uh, is probably the best of them. Yeah. And um, I enjoy 42, but um, but a lot of his stuff, like, it was just kind of, eh. They, they yeah. were not, you know, Silence in the Library, Forest of the Dead, Blink, or Midnight. Right. 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 Well, you know, you want to go do the, you know, the, the question thing is, name some of the writers from this era. You know, you, you mentioned Neil Gaiman, you mentioned Mark Gaddis, right. of course, Stephen Moffat, uh, even Chris Chibnall himself. You know, we know these these names from the eras that came before Chris Chibnall took over. Who are, who's the writer of Rosa? Right, right. Some, yeah, the, some yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. Mallory Blackman was her name, and she was the first non-white writer for Doctor Who. Right. Would, and that kind of... Which is, the, well, Which is sad. I mean, it's yeah. sad because it could have been more potential for her strength, but it wasn't. Right. We also had Vinay Patel, who was the first, you know, uh, Southwest Asian origin person. Yep. Um, but, you know, Pete McTighe, Joy Wilkinson, Ed Heim, like these, they, they just didn't feel like we had much from these unknowns. And I don't know if yeah. it was their fault, the script editor, the showrunner, whatever. But the writing just throughout was pretty these- subpar. These were names that didn't stand out. Now, admittedly, Neil Gaiman was known even before he started writing for Doctor well, Who. That's sure. why they got him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but and that's that's part of it. Um, well, uh, but Mark Gatiss, he 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 had was working on Big Finish and came over from Big Finish, but he wasn't known really until Doctor Who. He became known through Doctor Who, but we don't have any of those names that are list that you just listed for uh, Chris Chibnall's era. Those writers are known, right? As far as I, as far as I'm aware, they they don't have much outside of Doctor Who that they're known for. Yeah, some of the best of the um, Moffat era, you know, Toby Whithouse and Frank Cottrell Boyce and Mark Gatiss and some of those names. Yeah, they're out there. So mm-hmm. I hope uh, Russell T Davies 
brings back. He had some great writers that wrote some good episodes in his era. And I'm hoping that's something we'll see again. Uh, all right. So I'm trying to think of anything else we want to talk We're about talk here. talk about the master. Oh, right, right, right. That's because that's, 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 that's a happy note to end on because that's like, of, oh, yes. of all of the characters. So the doctor, meh. Companions, yep. meh. Yep. Master, yay. Hey, Sasha exactly. Dewan's master is a lot of fun. It's probably the high oh, yeah. point of the of these three seasons was Sasha Dewan's master. Yeah. So Jimmy, what do you what do you going to say about the master? Well, I thought he was I thought he was great. I thought he was well written. Like I mentioned earlier with the shift from O to the master. That was that was a fun reveal. Um, he is I, I thought it was going to be really hard to follow up Missy mm-hmm. because I love Michelle Gomez's portrayal of Missy so much. I was not a huge fan of John Sim as as mm-hmm. the 10th Doctor's master. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but. Uh, but Missy was awesome, and and I I thought, wow, it's going to be hard to follow that up with someone entertaining. And Sasha Dewan knocked it out of the park. He was a lot of fun. He is. I would I would play him a little less dark if I were writing him, um, because he has these moments of rage that are mm-hmm. that are not as attractive. I would tone that down a little bit. But overall, his his goofiness and his um mercurialness and his uh just uh, there's so many aspects of his performance that I really enjoy. Like at, at even in the Timeless Children when he's talking to Ashad the Lone Cyberman at the end, he's like so mm-hmm. so what tell me your big plan. And and Ashad describes how after the Cybermen take over the universe, they're going to purge their biological components. And Sasha Dewan is like, robots, you're going to turn into robots. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and so I really I really enjoy Sasha Dewan's master. Now, they they. they need to, and I've been thinking about how can I get this message to Russell T. Davies. I may go on now. They they hinted that that Sasha Dewan's time as the master is done because mm-hmm. the doctor mm-hmm. at the end of the power of the doctor says your body is failing because of what you did to it. Um, I would love to see him brought back because we did have masters that were not confined to a single doctor. Anthony Ainley was the longest of those yep. um the in fact he he really may be the only example of that uh, on the on mm-hmm. tv but um i would love to see sasha dewan continue to play the master in the future and shooty got was 15th doctor uh period but whether they do that or not i don't think that that's the plan although they could do it but whenever we get a new master i'm gonna i, I need to like send this to russell t davies on twitter and say free of charge I waive all copyright claims, but next time we get a new master, the new master needs to explain in just just a single sentence, the reason Rasputin was so hard to kill was because he kept regenerating. (laughs) How about you, Father Cray, uh, the the master? Oh, yeah, I I like this Astro Dawn master. I I think we need to have a a Missy master meet up, Michelle Gomez and (laughs) Sasha Dewan. Yeah. We, on TV would be awesome. Bring bring Michelle Gomez back on TV, you know, sometime next season or whatever. Yep. Um, but even just as a 
yeah, it's a big finish, of course. You know, everything's always like, oh, big finish. You can do this. Big finish. You can do that. Right. But it's because we want it. It's our imagination um, place. <laughs> you know, that's 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 where, that's where we want to see things happen that really don't always work well on TV. Oh, no, I, I liked him like again from from that very beginning where, oh, he's just this nice kind of meek guy who's oh, who's kind of, you know, a, a lesser spy or whatever. And that's like, oh, wait, you are the master. Right. And and just his grin when she finally grinning. He almost if I remember right, he like he grins and almost like, you know, claps like a little yeah, kid yes. when, when he when she realizes who he is. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, and it was, he's just, he was such a fun master. I hope, like, I, I agree with you, Jimmy. I hope is such a fun master and continues beyond this. Um, Cause it was, it, he did it so well. He acted it so well. He was one of the few characters that was developed well by Christian Nozera. Um, and, and again, I just, the, the, him as Rasputin was great. Um, and the way that that all worked and in the power of the doctor was, was fantastic. So absolutely. I think this yep. one of the, one of the better master characters, uh, definitely. I don't have much to add to that. Uh, I, I, I want to say that I thought John Sim in the last 12th doctor story where he came back mm-hmm. as the master, when he was no longer manic, crazy person, he was, was a very interesting master. Better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a long record of them saying people aren't masters, aren't coming back particular actors even maybe that mm-hmm. it's entirely possible that they've let they're leading us astray in order to surprise us again, which and th- is hope springs eternal. <laughs> yeah. Then there happens to be a Colonel Masterton as a character or something like that. <laughs> right. You know? Right. right. Um, <laughs> one of the things, you know, speaking of the future, uh, you know, what I would love to see from Russell T. Davis is so much you could do. And I don't want, I mean, we could go in all coastal directions, but one thing I want to see is don't drop the timeless child. I want to see you mm-hmm. explore that more. I want to know more about what that's all about. There's so much possibility there that that's the one really good thing that came out of the, the 13th doctor era that could carry on that. I want to carry on, but in, which includes uh Ruth doctor, the fugitive doctor. Um, so yeah. I would, I want, I want more of that. Uh, anything from you guys. Would you think Father Corey? I, Get back to where he was before. <laughs> get Russell TV Davies back. Get Doctor Who back to where it was before. And and having the tenth Doctor slash fourteenth Doctor is going to be a big help with that. Yeah, it almost kind of acts as a reboot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, of you know of Christian. But hey, I agree with you. Yeah, let's not get rid of the Timeless Child. It's 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 canon now. Let's not wash it away. Let's not ignore it. Uh, play into it. You know, I, I said mm-hmm. earlier, why not have a Fugitive Doctor miniseries, mm-hmm. five six episodes with the Ruth doctor, the fugitive doctor absolutely would be amazing. You know, I, I loved, I loved the TARDIS design, by the way, of the fugitive doctor where it looks like a first doctor TARDIS, but not exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it looked good. It was a well-designed interior, uh, contrary to the 13th doctor interior. <clears throat> um, <laughs> you know, go back to that, go back to those stories. Let's, let's hear about some of those stories that they hinted at during the flux season. You know, we got that little bit where we saw that one adventure going to the, the temp- temple of Atropos. Uh, let's see more of what the, the fugitive doctor was doing mm. and had done throughout her time. Let's see the story that led her to become Ruth. Okay. You know, stuff like that. Jimmy. Yeah, I, 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 looking forward, I mean, I want to see Russell, I would like to see Russell T. Davies do what he said he's going to do and give it a kind of cinematic universe treatment. Um, in, I, I would like him to dial back the politics from where Chris Chibnall had them. I mean, they're not going to vanish entirely, but, 
you know, give me good entertaining stories and and that are not just driven by politics. Um, mm. And I would uh, in terms of things he could carry over from the uh, from the Chris Chibnall era that I think would work in the future, I would say um I would say The Timeless Child, especially The Fugitive Doctor, and Sasha Dewan's Master. Those are things I would not mind him bringing over into the future at all. Okay, very good. All right, so well, in that part of our discussion here, we've got our listener feedback that I mentioned earlier. And uh, our first bit of feedback comes from our discussion of The Power of the Doctor. Uh First, we hear from Rick Angeli, Angelini, sorry, Rick, on Discord, who wrote, responding to a comment in the podcast, I've never seen any classic who. I recognize that these characters must have been from classic who, but had no idea about the character backstories, etc. It wasn't a distraction, but rather a disappointment that I couldn't appreciate the joy and surprise of seeing all of these old faces. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. understandable. Yeah. It's one of those yeah. things, especially for a centenary anniversary type thing where they need to draw on the past. The more familiarity you have with the past of the show, the the more mm-hmm. layers of meaning there are. Mm. Yeah. And I'd say that this would be a good, good challenge for you, maybe to go back and watch some of the classic who involved Tegan or Ace. You can yeah. see, you know, what these companions were like back in their prime. Yep. And, you know, get maybe get some of the backstory there. Go watch a, uh, was it Revelation of the Daleks? That, that's this. There's. Yeah, the the seventh Doctor and Ace oh, yeah. story mm-hmm. where they meet up in sixty three. That was the the anniversary special then. Or, or um, go back and watch Earthshock if you want to understand the fifth Doctor's comment to Tegan about what she must be thinking right now, exactly. seeing all of these Cybermen. Yeah, exactly, yeah, definitely. You know, so I mean, again, that would give you some of the backstory, but also let you see those companions uh, as they were and why they're so beloved or in teen's case, sometimes not so much just because she could be annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Then uh, she's, I think she's one of those annoying people who's earned their beloved status. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. Uh, Our next feedback comes from Tim uh, Davies via email who says, sorry, Jimmy, it wasn't father Corey who pointed out that the master has survived the timeless child. Uh, And Tim had sent an email uh, back in March 2020, when that first aired that episode in which he corrected us on the master being dead because he heard the master's line. All of you through here now uh, is they escaped with the cyber masters into the TARDIS. So um, happy to uh, give you credit for pointing that out. <laughs> I don't know that it's an either or, but happy to give you credit for pointing that out. Yep. Yeah. I think Father Corey also said it too. Yep. I I, I haven't gone back and listened, but sure. yeah, that's all right. I'm <laughs> it's two and a half years ago. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, and then uh, a little feedback on an episode that's a little ways away, uh, a little a bit in the past, episode 293, where we talked about Kill the Moon. Uh, Tim Lucchese says, uh, for the most part, the episode Kill the Moon is a steaming pile of rancid garbage. That's but right. <laughs> the pro-life yeah. message, I agree. The pro-life message, whether intentional or not, was a breath of fresh air. If only that message had been in an episode that people would want to watch repeatedly instead of one where people buy the DVD just to smash it with a science textbook. When I Mm. saw that episode, I assumed that the writers had the doctor run away because of the common argument, no uterus, no opinion on issues related Mm. to the unborn. After he left, the only three left to make the choice were female. With that said, the episode was written by two men. So what do you all think? Am I reading more into it than is there? 
Well, it's possible that the theory you sketch out is what they were thinking. It's also possible that they were clueless scriptwriters who were <laughs> not aware of what they were doing at all. So I don't know where the yeah. truth is. I'm just glad there is a pro-life yeah. message, whether they intended it or not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. It, it's I, I'm not giving the scriptwriters that much credit. It's more like, let's get the doctor out of here so Clara has to be the the decision maker yes, and the doctor Clark. how we do that. I don't know. He's just going to walk away he, or <laughs> figuratively lock away. He's going to get in the TARDIS and fly away somewhere else for a while. Right. Right. All right. Well, thank but you. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great story. I mean, it was, it was a great pro-life message, even if the story sucked. Yeah, a great pro-life <laughs> message and a terrible story. So uh, thank you all for your feedback. We really do appreciate that. And as we sign up, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Scott S., Miguel G., Alvin W., Deacon Anthony R., and Christian E. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We would especially love to hear I really want to hear a lot of feedback on this on our 13th Doctor retrospective. What did you think of the 13th Doctor era, the companions, the writing, your favorite and least favorite episodes, the master, all of that? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Send an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time. We'll be discussing the Eighth Doctor Big Finish story, Embrace the Darkness. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you. And to close out our uh, look at the 13th Doctor year, we're going to be taking a listen to the only good thing to come out of Orphan 55, which was Sycorax Rocks' Orphan 55 musical review. So be sure to go over to Sycorax Rocks' page on YouTube and subscribe so that you'll get notifications whenever he has a new musical video out. Uh, Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Well, thank you, Dom, and I'm glad we're done with the 13th Doctor. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, What? What? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Orphan 55. Three, four years late before we reach the point of no return, my dears. If we're really lucky, things are quickly getting sucky. Could recycle, ride a bike, but it's a drop in the bucket. All the powers with the same old folks who think climate change is a big old hoax. It was 70 in winter in Boston, a steamer. And everyone in Melbourne's got the emphysema. So what can I do? Review Doctor Who online. Posting content for my audience of nine. Barely on time was good. Why don't we hop in the truck? to the tundra. A little bit of hop and shake your tail. A little bit of maybe epic fail. A little bit of Vilna filled with dread. A little bit of Benny shoot be dead. A little bit of Bella, she's the bomb. A little bit of Kane, she's Bella's mom. A little bit of Silas fix the hose. This episode's a wee bit on the nose. Now you're probably wondering where this episode fits into the greater timeline. Well, if you think about it, 
A, the doctor says this is a possible future, and B, if you've ever seen the Ice Warriors, or... Graham builds a cube that up and takes the crew to a very nice resort with a very pleasant view. We've seen this show. It'll all go south when the dregs show up with their creepy-ass mouths. Doc's like, no way, it's the Russian subway. Bit like rather locks, would you say? A little bit of politics well-deserved. A whole lot of characters underserved. Squidgy little virus, Ryan sneezed. Well, golly cheats just the thing we need. A little bit rushed and overstuffed. That's a great monster, and it's us. I bet you ten bucks at Heim clearly. It's played Metro 2033. Orphan 55. This is Orphan 55. Mabeni! Orphan 55. A little less of info dumping scenes. A little more of Bella. Yes, Queen! Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Anyway, I like how this thing flowed. I really cared about this silly crew. I think we could have left out one or two. The moralizing code is out of place. This episode already made its case. Siege face, wolf case. Picture this with McCoy and Ace. This was Earth. We wrecked it. Damn it. Call it the mysterious Captain Planet. This is Orphan 55. This is Orphan 55.